1 Peter chapter 3, and we will begin reading in verse 18. When you got to say so. And the word of the Lord says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also we he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water. This is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. We thank you, Lord, because you are high, you are lifted up, you are glorious. And we humble our hearts before you today. We humble our hearts before your word. And God, we thank you for your presence that is here now, dear Lord. We thank you because we know that you have begun a good work in our hearts even in this day, continuing that, Lord God, work which you began the day that we met you. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you give us ears to hear what your Spirit says to the church. What you are speaking to us, God, let us hear you. And let us respond in faith, bringing you glory and honor. For you truly, truly are worthy. We give you thanks for all of this. In Jesus' name, someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Today, I uh, will be preaching a message that I consider to be encouraging. Hallelujah. I heard one preacher say, and I agree with him, he said that he's been given the gift of discouragement. And um, I think sometimes that may be how I preach. I don't normally encourage you so well. You know, that's not one of my strong suits. Hallelujah. But I will do my best today to be obedient to the scriptures that are there to encourage us this morning. With that being said, encouragement doesn't always mean it's just going to feel all good. Amen? Amen. Sometimes encouragement hurts. You know, like when someone is encouraging you to go to the gym, glory to God. It doesn't feel good. When someone is encouraging you to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning to pray, that doesn't necessarily feel good when that phone is ringing, you know, stuff like that. So ultimately, I will, I'll be faithful to these scriptures here that are extremely encouraging to us. And there is also a lot of technical stuff in this portion of scripture. There's a lot of stuff here that we'll talk about, but we don't want to get lost on the rabbit trails of those little questions that you have. We want to make sure that we touch on those points, but that we stick to the main focus of the scriptures here. The title of the message this morning is saved through suffering saved through suffering we are saved through the suffering of Jesus Christ we are saved because of what someone did for us we are not saved because we are so good God did not call us or choose us because we were going to make such a great addition to his body and all of that good stuff which we do make a great addition to one another but to him he is glorious all by himself and needs no one amen and so ultimately, we talked last week, and the reason why this message becomes so encouraging, because I want us to stay within the context of the book of First Peter, Second Peter. These are scriptures that were written to a suffering, a people who were being tried and tested by trial and tribulation. And their reason for being tested and tried was purely, in this sense, because of Jesus. Because they were, in their day, they, they, were, they were saying that they were believers in Jesus, they were followers of Jesus, and as such, they 
were being tested. They were being tried. They were going through hardship and difficulty. And so the Apostle Peter is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down some words to encourage them and to remind them in their faith. And so the reason why this is important for us today is because we all suffer for different reasons. Everybody in this place suffers for different reasons. Some of us suffer because of our own sin. This is not the encouraging part of the message. Hello. <laughs> Some of us suffer because of our own sin, and I will call it stupidity. Some of us suffer because of our own bad decisions, because of our own desires and our own will leading us rather than us being led by the Spirit of God, rather than us being obedient to what the Scriptures clearly lay out. Some of us suffer because of our own sin. Then some of us suffer for the sins of others. Give you an example. The first one, I think you all got that one, but an example of where we suffer because of someone else's sins. If you were a child and you were molested or you were beaten, that was not because of your sin. That was because of the sin of someone else and you have experienced this, this situation that was painful and so you suffered some things. Some people are struggling with identity crisis in this day. Some people are struggling with just being able to have some level of self or assurance of who they are because of what was going on in their childhood. And so some people, they suffer. And, and as adults, sometimes we suffer because, you know, you'll work for a company and the owners of the company decide that they are going to operate in a sinful manner. You end up losing your job or whatever the case is. The company, you know, plummets or whatever happens. And then you end up suffering not because of your sin, but because of the sins of someone else. And then there are some of us that we simply suffer because we live in a sinful and fallen world that, has, that there are consequences. They're just because of the sin that is in the world. You want to talk about world hunger? It is not because God is not loving, because God is not merciful. It is because we live in a fallen world, because we live in a world where things are not perfect and will never be perfect, and God allows it to be so, so that way we will look forward to heaven. If everything was perfect here, we would never want to leave. Glory to God. Hallelujah. No matter the cause of our suffering, here's the beauty of this. It's no matter if your suffering is because of your own sin or your suffering is because of the sin of someone else or your suffering is simply consequential because we live in this world that has fallen. It is beautiful to know this, that in the midst of our suffering, we can find forgiveness because of what Jesus did. And so if it, if, if it is because of our own sin, we can find forgiveness in him. If it is because someone else has sinned against us, we can forgive others because of what Jesus did for us. And if it is just consequential, then we are able to be comforted because of what Jesus did. Christ is the sinless Savior who suffered in our place the full wrath of God. And what he delivered us from was the greatest penalty of all sin. Everybody feels like the greatest penalty of all sin is the eternal reality of hell. Can I tell you what the greatest penalty of all sin is? It is being separated from the very presence of God. And, 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 and the thing is that some of us experience this separation. Now, let me don't get it twisted. Hell is a real consequence for sin. Hell is a place that you do not want to be. And the suffering that is going to go on there, if you do not know Jesus before you die, is going to be horrendous. And so that's, that, that is a big consequence. But I want to let you know that there is greater consequence because hell is horrible. But if you at least had God's presence there encouraging you through hell, it would be okay. The fact is that you will be in a place suffering eternally in torment and you will have no presence of God that is allowing you to experience any level of comfort. Everybody on this planet, whether you know Jesus or not, 
you experience the grace of God. What do you mean, Bishop? I'm going to tell you what I mean. The Bible clearly says in the book of James that every good thing, every good gift comes from where? Comes from God Almighty. So whether you're a believer, whether you believe in Jesus or not, it's, it, 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 is, it is from God. I'll give, you, I'll give you an example of when this really dawned on me. One time I was at a funeral, and when I was at this funeral, I didn't speak up and say this because, you know, I have those moments of cowardice, and I don't speak up, and I just kind of keep that stuff to myself. And so I, I was like, I, I got in the car, and I told my wife later, and she's like, I can't believe you didn't say that. I was like, babe, I'm sorry. I apologize. But anyway, I was sitting there in the, in, in the funeral, and when I was at the funeral, the thing that came into my heart was this thought, and is that it is natural to mourn, but supernatural to be comforted. It is natural for us to mourn the loss of someone we love. When someone we love dies, there is a tearing away because we are, we are created to be eternal. When someone dies, there is a loss. So it is natural for you to mourn. But it is supernatural for you to be comforted. Why? Because whether you believe in Jesus or not, whether the person who gave you the hug or the word of encouragement or not knows God, it doesn't make a difference. It is a good thing when you get a hug. It is a good thing when you are encouraged. So guess where that good thing came from? God Almighty, everybody on this planet experiences the grace of God. To what degree depends on how they respond to the message of the gospel. Because everybody on this earth, most, most of us are not experiencing the fullness of what we should be experiencing as far as sin goes. And it is because of what? Because God is merciful. It is because God is gracious. But when all is said and done, we will be separated from him for eternity. You know what is the worst thing? The worst thing in this life is to live this life only experiencing the overflow of God's grace, the thing that we call the common grace of God, and never experience the full grace of God. That is the worst thing in this life, to think that you may have everything, and yet you don't have the one thing that means the most is his presence. And that only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. The first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is to encourage us during our suffering. Looking at verse 18, look what it says. It says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, bring us to his Father. So Jesus suffered once for our sins. When we are going through suffering, and listen, let me just say this as well. You may be sitting in this place and you're like, man, I'm not suffering. That's today. That is today. So if this is not something for you today, put it in your pocket and save it for later. In other words, everybody should be listening. Amen? Don't just tune me out because when I'm in a great season, glory to God. And in this great season, he's preparing you for that suffering season. Because it may not be today. It may be in 10 years that you pull this out your pocket. You know, you know how you put something in your pocket and you find it like months, years later, all wrinkled up. and That's this message for some of y'all. Glory to God. So if you're, you're in a good place, praise the name of the Lord. You know what? This message right now, it may not even be for you in, in, in any near season. It may be for someone you're going to run into tomorrow. It may be for someone that you are going to communicate with. And so get what the scriptures are communicating. Jesus clearly says this. He, I mean, the, the scriptures clearly teach us that Jesus suffered for all of us. He suffered for all of our sins. And, 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 and let, me, let me say this as well, because we all, you know, I say this often, and, and, I, and I like to repeat it as much as possible, because as Christians, I don't know about you, but I forget stuff very quickly. And I don't mean that I have a bad memory. That is not what I mean, because I have a good memory. But when it comes to this particular thing I'm about to say, I forget this often. And it is this, is that the gospel is not solely for the lost, it is for me. 
Did you hear me? The gospel is not solely, whenever we think about the gospel, we think about what? Automatically, we quickly think, preaching the gospel to lost people. What you forget is that saved people need the gospel as much, if not more, than lost people. How can I prove this? Okay, let me just do this really quickly. Who is Peter writing to? The church. And what is he preaching here? The gospel. To who? The church. Why? Because we need to be reminded. We need to constantly be reminded of the gospel. We want to get deep with God. Get deep into the gospel. Get deep into the gospel because we begin to understand things about God that comfort us in our times of suffering and our times of difficulty. Jesus Christ suffered for our sins because we needed, we, everybody in this place, needed someone to die in our place. Because every one of us in here is hopelessly sinful apart from Jesus. Every one of us in here can do nothing to say, listen, I don't care how good you are. I don't care how many sins you don't commit. It does not matter. You are not good enough. I am not good enough. I was having a conversation with someone who was in the middle of a rehab program. And I told him, I said, you know, this is so graphic, but I have to, I have to, I have to bring this out as, as often as possible as well. And it is this. It is that we often strive toward being perfect because we think that that earns us a right to stand before God's presence. Here's what I want you to understand about how perfect you and I are. This is what the book of Isaiah says. And this is really graphic and really disgusting. But you know what? I didn't author it. Jesus did. The Holy Spirit did. And so just hear what he says. He says this clearly in the book of Isaiah. He says that your righteousness is is as filthy rags. Now, I don't know if you get the gravity or or how graphic this is. But I want you to see this in reality. What he is saying is your righteousness is as menstrual rags. See, everybody got quiet. Like, hold on, what are you talking about? Okay. Your righteousness is going to be really disgusting. It's like filthy used tampons. Are you getting the picture? Now, here's what I want you to see. This gets better. I want you to see you taking a box. It's a gift box. And you are taking this gift box, and what you are doing is, this is for God. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take all of the filthy, and I will be a little bit nicer, menstrual rags. And every time I do a good work, I'm putting it in this box for Jesus. And when I go before him, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, hey, I have a gift for you. What is that? All of my righteous works. Here you go. When he opens it up, you know what he does? What would you do? Vomit. You see, here's the problem. This, oh, glory to God. Somebody are looking at me like, so should I not be good? No. What I'm saying is don't depend on your goodness to be right before God. That is what I'm saying. Because here's what you do. What do you do with that stuff? Well, ladies, you, th- you wrap it up, throw it away. Glory to God. You're not giving it to anyone. Hallelujah. Right? They got special containers for that stuff. You know what I'm saying? So what you, good works, they all pale in comparison to Jesus. Throw it away. Keep moving forward. That is what Paul meant. Listen, this is another graphic picture. Paul says that he counts everything as dung. So inside that box, you all know what dung is, right? It's poop. All right. So along with your menstrual rags, you are throwing poop in there. 
That's what he means. He's saying, all of my accomplishments are like dung. Everything. See, when we read scriptures like this, we understand, wait a second. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. So he could bring us before God. That is awesome. That is the gospel. That is what the gospel communicates to us, that my righteousness is worthless. It doesn't earn me anything. Here, here's, here, here, here's what we have to get. No longer should we be thinking that we are suffering to save ourselves or in payment for our sins. The just can never be righteous enough or suffer enough to justify themselves. What, why, why does this matter? Because some of us, I have, and I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, I have an issue with this. What do, what do you mean? When I go through hardship, because I tell y'all stories. <clears throat> I'm not going to give you a story right now, but I'm going I'm to break this down for you. I tell you, you can always tell if you sowed this into your life or if this is something else, right? I say, all you got to do is just follow the trail backwards. Look at what you did over there. Are you reaping a consequence of what happened yesterday, right? That's how we know. Sometimes we look back at our life, and I mean, it's not that we're perfect, but, man, we have really been praying, seeking God, pursuing him. We're not living in blatant sin. You know, we're repenting on a daily, recognizing, and, you know, we're walking in that good, beautiful season, and suddenly we find ourselves in hardship. This happens. And so what I say is when you look at that stuff, then you rejoice, you continue to honor God, and you walk through it. Well, when you look back and you see a bunch of mess that has caused you to be in a situation, what do you do? You try to just fix it yourself? Or do you repent of your sin and move forward? My issue is I try to fix it myself and I try to earn my way out of it by doing enough good things. See, my wife, on the other hand, she understands the grace of God in a great way. I talked to her about stuff and she's like, babe, Jesus died for that. I'm like, yeah, but I think I need to die too. No. It's not... I need to die to myself. Yes, I need to crucify my flesh. Absolutely. But I need to also embrace the forgiveness that there is, that there is only in Jesus. Amen. It doesn't mean I don't get better, okay? It's not that. I don't, want, I, don't, I don't want you to get that mindset because we should be growing in the grace and the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. But we need to stop feeling in our hearts. And this is where it comes. It's a heart issue. We need to stop in our hearts feeling like, well, I've lived enough days without sinning, so now I can enter into God's presence. I've lived enough time without doing wrong, so now I can lift my head up. No, the moment you repent of sin from your heart and you turn from it and you turn to Jesus, lift your head up, enter into the presence of God, because that is what makes it right, not how great you are. Our suffering and our hardship do not give us a right to come before the Father. Jesus' suffering alone makes that possible. And here's what we learn from this. In all of these things, what we realize in our suffering and our difficulty is that if we choose to follow Jesus, one of the greatest things that we need to expect is opposition. And we will either be opposed by those in the natural or we will be opposed by those spiritually and, and those demonic forces and those things. But opposition is a guarantee for anyone who decides they want to follow Jesus. And you know what? Depending on the intensity of the opposition, depending on what's going on, it determines the degree to which you suffer. It determines to the degree within your heart that you are grieved and you are hurt by the various trials. And we'll talk about more of those next week as we move on into 1 Peter chapter 4. The second thing I ask you to repeat after me is the proclamation of Christ, proclamation of Christ. is to empower us during our suffering. Jesus suffered in the flesh. 
He was made alive in his spirit, and the scripture says that he went to proclaim something unto the spirits in prison of his victory for sinners and, and, and over Satan. Now, I want to, I, this is one of those technical things, glory to God, that we want to deal with just so I can give you some food for thought here. Hallelujah. He goes on to say, looking at verse 18, going, going past the part that we already read, he says, being put to death in the flesh but made alive by the spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through the water. And so one of the greatest questions that comes up is who are these spirits that he was preaching to and what did he preach? Those are the questions that come up when we look at this. And there's a bunch of different ideas that people have. There's one idea that they believe this. They believe that what happened was Jesus went, preached to, the, to, to lost people before the cross. When he went down there, he preached, gave them a second opportunity for salvation. Here's the problem with that, and we throw that one out the door real quick. Nowhere does the Bible ever teach a second opportunity to be saved once you die. Clear? The scriptures are clear. It is appointed unto man. The book of Hebrews says it clearly. It is appointed unto man once to die, then what? The judgment. Period. And so to believe that Jesus was preaching for people to get a second chance for salvation, that would not be like that. That, would, that, that doesn't line up with any kind of scripture. The other thought in, in this whole thing is that because it uses the example of Noah, it says that you know Noah was there as a preacher. It is saying that, that Jesus in the spirit, that his spirit was preaching through Noah, which we can get with that. We can say that Noah was preaching, Jesus was preaching through him. We know that the scriptures teach that Jesus was testifying earlier on in the book of 1 Peter. Jesus was testifying testifying in the prophets and the apostles communicating the gospel. And so we can get with that. But then the question is, why did he only choose a certain group of people that he was going to be preaching to? When he goes, because the scripture now says that he goes to prison, right? He goes to prison. So here's the third option, which is the one that I truly favor and believe that this is what the scriptures are teaching. It says here in verse 19, it says, by whom he went and preached to the spirits in prison. The first thing that we have a problem with is that if these spirits are supposed to be people, then we have an issue because Peter did something really weird here. He went from using a terminology about spirits, which it never refers to people. It is always speaking of, de of demons or angels. It's speaking of spirit beings. Obviously, God is spirit. Speaking of spirit beings, not talking about human beings. Hello. And then a couple of, uh, just a couple of lines later, Peter specifically points out, he says only eight souls were saved. So we have spirits over here, souls over here when he's dealing with people directly. And here's the other thing is that when you look down toward the end of this, what is the underlying theme that runs through this? At the end, he talks about these powers and these, and, and these angels and these authorities being brought under, uh, uh, under his subjection. So when we look at the scriptures, what do we understand here? What, what God is speaking through Peter is he's saying that there was a proclamation that was made sometime between the time that Jesus died and was buried and the time that he resurrected, that there was a proclamation that was made in prison. That's another issue here, is that who is in prison? Who are these souls that are, or these spirits that are in prison? These spirits that are in prison are those who the scripture later on will talk about and tell you those that are bound, that are bound until the time of the end. And so these are the spirits. Jesus goes in the spirit, communicates to them what? Tells them, listen, I know y'all thought you had me. I know you saw me die. I know you saw me beaten. I know you thought that it was over, but I just wanted you to know I won the victory. 
on the cross, I won the victory and disarmed you. I took your power, your authority, your kingdom no longer has the rule that it used to have because of what you saw and thought was the end. That is why the proclamation of Christ is to empower us during our suffering. As Christians, we must always remember this, that we do not fight for victory, but we fight from victory. Jesus won the battle against the flesh, against the world, and against any enemy that we have. So when we are fighting, we're not fighting from a position trying to gain something. We are fighting from a position that was already gained before we even entered into the battle. See, this is the encouraging stuff. Hallelujah. All right. Glory to God. Give the Lord a hand of praise if that's encouraging. When you look at this story, he ties it in with Noah. And there's some, because I want to give you some practical application. We know that we're going to experience opposition. But when we look at the life of Noah, there's something else that we can, we, can, we can do. And it is that as Christians, we should realize that we are supposed to serve Christ faithfully. By faith, not by results. Listen to me. Noah preached for like 120 years as he was building this ark looking crazy. I don't know if you, you, know, if you really have like internalized that story, but they had never seen rain like that. Hello. And this dude was building like this huge thing in his front yard. He was like, yo, I'm building. God is, what? This dude done lost his mind. He preached the gospel. He would say, listen, y'all, you see this ark? If you don't get in here, you're going to die. And they're like, nah, man, you're nuts. This, this is a crazy situation. And he preached and he preached. And you know who got saved? His family. And it's probably because he dragged them in there. Hello. Because he was up to them and be like, man, we ain't hanging out with you, dad. You, you know, you, you, you got issues, man. They're ready to go, but he's like, but they're like, you know, we know dad, though. You know, he didn't. So ultimately... The only people who were saved was his family. That was it of everyone on the earth. And so he continued. But what did he do? Did he stop midstream and say, man, God, you're nuts. I'm not going to keep building this. I mean, you know, it's, it's a long time. It's not like, you know, a week later. You know, I know y'all have seen, like, what is it, Evan Almighty or whatever that is. I, you know, that's like a couple-week project or whatever the case is. You know, got the animals dancing. I wasn't like that. Hello. It wasn't, that wasn't the situation here. But this guy preached. And so for us, when we're going through suffering, when we're going through hardship, we remember we continue to be faithful. We continue to be faithful. Because, and, and see, this is why I tell you that I forget stuff. We went just the other day to this gospel. Um, it, was, it was like a gospel one day, the pastors and I. And, you know, when we went to this thing, it's just a reminder. I, I just love it. I get to go and just hear someone preach the gospel to me remind me, hey, it's about the gospel. It's about Jesus, not about you. That is awesome to hear. I know, you need to hear that all the time. Tell yourself that every morning. It is about the gospel. It is about Jesus. It is not about you. And walk away. That's what you need to do. Remind you every day. Every, no matter what. When you're looking at a situation and it looks bad, it is about the gospel. It is about Jesus. It is not about me. Walk away. Rejoice in Christ. It is hard to do that because you get so caught up in what, and, and, and it doesn't matter. If for me, this is my job, this is what I do, and so I look at numbers, I look at, okay, there's one, two, three, four, five, and I start counting chairs and how many people, and then, I, you know, I, I start looking at what Pastor Aldo's entering to the computer, but okay, how many is the average? Listen, it is not about me. It is about the gospel. And you know what, God, when God judges me, when he judges you, he's going to judge me on one thing, Jesus. Did you hear that? 
I know you think he's going to judge you about 50 other things. He's going to judge you based on Jesus. That is what it's going to be about. How faithful are you with him? How faithful are you with the representation of him in all areas of your life? No matter how difficult it may seem, no matter how tough it is, it is about him. So you know what the most important thing for you as a Christian to do is to get to know him well and represent him correctly. That is what it boils down to. Serving him like this. The third thing, please repeat this after me. The resurrection is to remind us during our suffering. He goes on to say this in verse 21. He said, there is also an antitype. It's like a type or a shadow, which now saves us baptism. This is another like one of those things that, you know, people get all hung up on. And so not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so here's what I want to do. If you look at your Bible, you got that part that's in parentheses probably where it says not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. In the New King James Version, which is what I'm reading from, it says there is also an anti type which now saves us baptism if you remove those parentheses through the resurrection of Jesus Christ the reason why I say to remove that for a moment is because that's put in there to explain something to further make the point but if you took that out of there and you just read it that way it would say baptism through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and so it is not the act that I want you to understand this when people look at this this is where the argument comes up Well, are you saved through water baptism? Is that part of you being saved? And so here's the first thing. What baptism is he talking about? The scripture teaches us in the book of Hebrews that there are a doctrine of baptisms with an S. There are different baptisms throughout the scriptures. And so when we look at it from that perspective, which baptism is he talking about? Is he talking about water baptism? Some people will look at the preceding verses and say that he is speaking about water baptism because he is talking about how these people were saved through the waters of the flood. But here's my question for you. Were they saved through the waters or were they saved in the ark? Everybody who was in the waters was, guess what? Dead. The waters were the wrath of God that came. They were saved through the waters in the ark. They were saved through. And so when you look at this, what does this mean? This means he says this is an antitype. This is something that gives you a type or a picture. And so what does the ark symbolize? The ark symbolizes Jesus. And so what happens is there is a baptism into Christ that the book of 1 Corinthians speaks about and the book of Ephesians speaks about being baptized into one body, being baptized into Christ. And so it is that baptism that is enabling us to be baptized into the body through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus. And so the resurrection reminds us, again, this is not about us. For, for, for just Noah and his family, they were saved in the ark, which is a type of baptism. Jesus is an ark in whom we are baptized, saved through, symbolizing the external act of baptism. So what happens when you get baptized in water? When you get baptized in water, you are talking or you are declaring something that has already taken place inside of your heart. You are already talking about something. You are simply making a public declaration saying, listen, I am identifying with what? With the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm identifying with that because I am publicly declaring that I am devoted to him. That's why we don't take baptism lightly. That's why we don't just say, just go ahead and get, you know, get get baptized and just make, we, we give you a class. We want to teach you what baptism is about. Why? You need to take this seriously. 
It's not something you just do, okay, well, I got baptized this week in a month. I'm going to serve Jesus, and then a month later, I'm not going to serve Jesus, and I got to come back, rededicate my life, and get baptized again. It's not like that. That isn't the way that our heart should be. Our heart should be, I'm devoted to him. Am I going to fall short of his glory? Everybody does. It's a reminder. The resurrection is the reminder of what? It is that while we endure suffering and hardship, we are reminded of the resurrection of Jesus and how our identity, listen to this, is not our suffering or our situation, but our Savior. Our, this is an identity issue. Again, we get so caught up in the things that we do and the things that we go through that our identity begins to be that. Our identity begins to be these other things instead of Jesus. And so the resurrection reminds us my identity is not the hardship. My identity is not the suffering. My identity, Jesus. That is where I find my identity. That is where I find my wholeness. What happens is the enemy wants to use whatever he can to discourage you and to get you off this, this thought process of understanding that your identity is in Jesus, nothing else. And it can be with good stuff as well as bad stuff. Because we begin to get laxed and we begin to pull back from our devotion and consecration to Jesus because everything is going good. And so we find our identity in no problems instead of Jesus. Oh, we're going through problems. We become so consumed with those things. Those things. People know us more by our problems than our Savior. Glory to God. He goes on to say, continuing on in verse 21, he says, there, there, there is also an antitype which now saves us baptism, not the removal of filth of the flesh. He is just solidifying that he is not talking about water baptism being an agent of salvation. But he goes on to say, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. See, when you experience this water baptism, when you experience this unifying with Christ in your relationship and you move forward into this baptism in water, what happens is there is something that takes place. I don't know about anybody else in here, but I remember the night that I was baptized. It was a glorious, wonderful night. I experienced something. There was something profound that happened in my heart. I was saved way before I was baptized, but there was something that just marked my life that day. That is, that, that is why it is so important for us that you are serving Jesus so that way that day isn't something that a lot of people that, that I have sadly heard say, oh, well, you know, everybody was doing it, so that's why I did it. That is the wrong reason to be baptized because it's supposed to mean something. But because we have been unified with Christ, we get this conscience. Now, for those of you that were here last week, if you weren't, you can, get the, um, <clears throat> you can hear the message online. It should be up next week. Lewis didn't have the CD, but... Um, we talked about the different conscience, how a conscience can be defiled, how a conscience can be seared, and how a conscience can be wicked or evil. We spoke about that. But what cleanses the conscience? It is when we become unified with Jesus. And you can write these scriptures down. The book of Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14 and the book of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22. That's Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14 and Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22. It says there that our conscience, our evil conscience, has been sprinkled or has been cleansed by what? The blood of Jesus. It doesn't get cleansed when I get baptized in water. I have an experience that connects me with that. But here's what happens. I have a good conscience. I have a good, good, good calling out to God because my mind has been made right. Because of what? Because Jesus washed me and made me new. Encouraging. 
The fourth thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. The ascension of Christ is to refocus us during our suffering. He goes on to say after resurrection in verse 22, he said, Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. And I'm getting ready to close on this point. But the ascension of Christ is to refocus us when we are suffering. It is to help us to recalculate and to look at things from the right perspective. Now here's something that I want you to understand. Jesus suffered in our place, just repeating this from earlier, for our sins he made a proclamation of his victory that is now ours he physically resurrected granting us new life and a new identity and he ascended to the highest position of authority over all powers now hear me understanding the reality of Jesus enthroned in glory now does not enable us to escape from reality but gives us a clearer focus upon our reality that Jesus is Lord Lord over all. This, this is the issue, and I want to make this clear. Many times we look at worship in a one-dimensional way. We see worship as only when we sing, and we've preached against that forever and will continue to do so. You are worshiping God, and I, to, and I told you about my story, getting delivered. You know, I thought that, you know, worship being holy, just in a room consecrated seeking God, but I found out washing dishes was just as holy. And it's not because cleanliness is next to godliness. No, it is because serving in my home as Jesus would serve is worship unto Christ because it honors and serves my spouse so she doesn't have to do that. Amen? And so what I began to understand is that we try to disconnect worship and make it one-dimensional. And here's what makes it even worse. What makes it even worse is that when we begin to see worship as a place or time of escape, You know, you know why it's quiet, right? Because all y'all are guilty. That's all right. I'm guilty with you. We like I get my worship time, and I just forget about everything. It's like worship is like a drug. Worship is like your six pack, right? Hello, that, listen. That's that's horrible. When we see it as that. Now, does that mean that I don't get into worship and I forget about it? Of course I do. How can I not? When I am in the presence of Almighty God, it is impossible to really get into God's presence and just forget and, and not forget about everything. My point is that that should not be the objective of worship. The objective of worship is to bring glory and honor to Jesus. The objective, the objective of true worship is to understand that no matter how bad or how good things are, Jesus is greater than them all. It is the understanding that he is enthroned. And so the ascension of Christ, and in this here, we see the crucifixion, we see his, his death, burial, his resurrection, we see all of, these, all of these components, and they all do something in our lives as part of the gospel. And this one refocuses us to where we become overwhelmed with who God is now, not who he's going to be tomorrow. He is enthroned now. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Sometimes it doesn't seem like that. Sometimes we wonder, man, where is God at? He's on the throne. I don't feel him. doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't seem like. doesn't matter what it seems like. But everything, it doesn't matter. 
He already died in your place. He suffered for your sin. He made the proclamation to the spirits in prison, and every demon in hell knows, they know that they do not have authority over you, that you are victorious because of Jesus. They know that. They're going to try to lie to you and make you feel different, but Jesus already made the proclamation. You stand upon that. He resurrected, showing you that even death couldn't hold him down. And he ascended into glory, high above all thrones, all powers. And guess what the Bible says in the book of Ephesians? That we are seated in heavenly places with him. Oh, our God is awesome. This is the gospel. If you know him, you get excited about this. If you don't, today is a good day. And so I'll stand to our feet and bow our heads. If you know him, these things were to encourage you. And if you do not know him, if you do not walk with him, then this is a good day for you to respond to him. Jesus suffered to set us free. He suffered to set us free. And so the question is, what is holding you back? Maybe you are a Christian. Maybe you are devoted to Jesus. Maybe you walk with him and yet you find yourself bound by insecurities. You find yourself bound by identity issues. You found yourself bound by legalism or trying to do it on your own and you have not begun to fully understand the grace of God. Today he just wants to encourage you and liberate you from anything that is holding you back. And if you're in here today and you do not know him and you are not walking with him, as I said, it is a good day. The Bible says to put your faith in Jesus. It tells you to call upon him. That's what it says. It says to call upon him. Turn from your sin and turn unto him. If you don't know him, that's, that's what it says. It teaches us that we are to turn to Jesus. He suffered for us. We're going to go through hardship, but we can go through hardship with him. So every, every eye closed, every head bowed. And here's my question. If you are a Christian, now hear, hear the questions clearly. If you are a Christian and God was speaking to your heart and you know that there are some things that are holding you back and today you heard the Holy Spirit dealing with you and you say, God, I need, I need to be totally free. If that's you in this place, please lift your hand up before the Lord because we want to pray with you. Hallelujah. I see the hands. the name of the Lord if you you can put your hands down if you are not a Christian if you are not a Christian you are not walking with Jesus and you recognize that he died for your sin and you recognize that you need his salvation if that's you in this place I ask you to lift your hand up before the Lord so we can pray with you people that raise their hands I'm going to ask you to just come forward and the pastors we're going to we're going to pray for you if you raise your hand and we do want to pray for you hallelujah we want to pray for you in this place and so please don't don't hesitate don't be embarrassed it's about you and Jesus right glory to God it's not about someone else it's about you and him and so let us pray with you in this place hallelujah thank you Lord 
Glory to God. Glory to God. We thank you, Jesus. The altar is open, and as we just begin to worship the Lord in this place, I'm going to ask you to just pray for the people that are on the altar. And if I could have the ministers, the, the ministers pray for the women that are on the altar, I would appreciate that. And I'll just, I'm going to pray a general prayer here. Father God, we just honor you in this place. And God, we acknowledge you as king. We acknowledge you as Lord. God, we acknowledge you as our everything, dear God. And Father, we come before you as those who recognize your calling, recognize your speaking to our hearts, dear God. Father, we want to honor you. God, we want to bring you glory even in our most difficult moments. Dear God, we want to walk giving you praise and adoration. God, we want to acknowledge you in all of those things that we face and those difficulties that we encounter. Holy Spirit, we pray right now that you would fill every heart that is in this place. God, that you would fill us with the full assurance of faith, Lord God. The full assurance of understanding, Lord, that we can walk in total freedom. Lord God, not bound or limited or hindered by anything because of what you have done for us, Jesus. Lord God, help us to gain the right mindset, dear Lord, understanding that we are not fighting for something, but we are fighting from a place of victory in you, my God. Let us walk as more than conquerors. Let us live as those who fully understand the gospel. And Lord God, when we forget it, Lord God, when we are sidetracked, Lord, help us to regroup, Lord God, and come back to those essentials in your word, God. Holy Spirit, fill us with a great appreciation of who you are and what you have done. God, we honor you in this place. We honor you in this place, Lord.